Welcome to Deleted Saves. On this episode, Resident Evil Code Veronica on Sega Dreamcast. I wasn't originally going to discuss today's topic as its own episode. I was going to do this one as part of a Resident Evil retrospective I'd planned for much later. But the more I thought about it, I realized, holy hot shit, we need to discuss this game. So today I present our topic, 2000's Resident Evil Code Veronica. Long-time listeners to Deleted Saves know I'm invested and a fan of the ongoing at the time of recording Resident Evil series. When I found out this game would release, but not on a console I owned, well, I just had to fix that. So much so that I saved my money from the jobs I was working at the time to pony up the $250 I would need to rent a game, a Sega Dreamcast, from a local Hollywood video, because I didn't intend to buy the console just to play one game, and signed the waiver making me legally responsible should it be destroyed that came with it, as well as this game, just to play it for a weekend. I never said I made the best financial decisions. Coincidentally, Resident Evil Co. Veronica also brings to us a new segment for the show, again, earlier than I intended. I present you, dear listener, with the problematic favorite. What is a problematic favorite? It's a game that I played repeatedly and loved, but I cannot, under any circumstance, bypass the issues with the game. Whether that be mechanics, characters, writing, bugs, representation, anything that would prohibit me from or at least make me wary of, in the words of a friend of the show, recommending the game in 2022, the current time of recording. Apologies, Keith. Where do I start with this game? Resident Evil Code Veronica is one of the many offshoot games in the series, much like Dead Aim or Operation Raccoon City, or any of several titles that involve the ever-growing T-Virus slash G-Virus slash C-Virus slash Herpes Simplex A-Virus du jour, that the Umbrella Corporation and its subsidiaries keep perpetuating on the world. It stars Claire Redfield, sister of the famous Chris Redfield, and one of the playable survivors of Resident Evil 2. In this case, Claire has chased the G-Virus to France, where she intends to bomb an Umbrella Europe office. In the process, she is captured and taken, under sedation, to an island somewhere off the coast of South America to be tortured and turned into a monster until an incident happens. The incident, an attack on the military outpost there, releases the virus and its monsters. She is let out of her cell by a dying soldier, who has decided to give her her freedom as his last kind act slash fuck you to his former employers, and Claire escapes into a zombie mutant nightmare of the recently deceased, infected soldiers, and infected former prisoners, as well as other horrors. The game is updated into lovingly 32-plus-bit-ish 3D graphics from its PS1 days, but retained the quote-unquote tank controls of the series up to that point. The backgrounds are not pre-rendered, but part of the world Claire interacts with. But the first red flag of this whole thing, ten minutes into our game, we are introduced to her sidekick for the game, Steve. Oh, holy fuck. Steve. Steve Burnside is another prisoner of the island, his family being Umbrella executives who tried to leak sensitive documents to the press about Umbrella, but who were caught and sent to be experimented on at the same island as Claire. And no one in any government noticed an independent military buildup in South America by a private corporation, huh? Anyway, Steve is the whiniest, shittiest 16-year-old in history who thinks he's just too cool 
always trying to get a hold of dual weapons, and awkwardly hits on Claire, who in game canon is about 19 at this time, mind you, in the middle of a zombie outbreak on an illegal military prison island. I don't know how the voice actor for Steve performed his lines, but he sells this kid as a total fuckwad. I assume he did his voice by having a sound booth technician drag a cheese grater across his testicles. After first meeting this loser, we see Steve again and again, getting into deadly predicaments Claire has to get him out of, acting jealous of mentions of her brother Chris when they try to radio him for help, or of her friend and fellow RE2 survivor Leon Kennedy when they try to contact him as well, or just being a weird, gross kid. His penultimate acting routine is when the pair meet Steve's dad, who has been zombified and stumbles into them while in a military vehicle shed, in which Steve is forced to shoot him dead when zombie dad almost eats Claire. But let's move away from Steve for a while to our antagonist for the game. Who boy, kids. Strap in for this one. Our bad guys for this one is a pair of fraternal twins, Alfred and Alexia Ashford, grandchildren of Veronica Ashford, the mother of one of Umbrella's founders. These two are the result of in vitro fertilization, literal test tube babies, bred to be hypergeniuses and excel at everything. Capcom went out of their way to make the two creepy, but they come off instead as more socially awkward and have some form of undiagnosed autism that somehow makes them sociopaths, which we know in reality is simply not true. But it's not like Capcom understands nuance. For the longest time, Claire only meets Alfred, who is fascinated by the military and presents himself as some sort of Banana Republic military officer, even claiming this installation as his responsibility. As Claire advances through the outpost, she uncovers a mansion on the island. Again, another fucking Resident Evil mansion. Where the Ashford twins live as a... um... couple. It is at this mansion we finally meet Alexia. But we never see the twins in the same room at the same time. And here's where things get worse. Late in the first half of the game, Claire confronts Alexia in the same mansion, and was holding her brother's rifle. When Steve busts in to the meeting and shoots Alexia without thinking, we find out a surprise twist in capital letters. Steve shoots the wig off Alexia, revealing Alfred was Alexia the whole time. See, apparently part of Alfred's mental illness was his cross-dressing as his dead sister Alexia, who disappeared years ago. Or he is possibly trans, it's not made clear. In any case, the game comes off as clunky and horribly insensitive, more like a 1980s comedy movie, dig at mental illness or trans issues, as is just being part of the crazy. The kind of sight gag usually found in movies where a trip to an asylum is involved, or where a chauvinistic dude finally learns what it's like to be a woman. Jesus fuck. Fleeing this outpost, like they're trying to flee the script itself, Claire and Steve escape the island by airplane, that Steve magically knows how to fly, and then they are trying to make it their way to America, until the plane is suddenly taken over by remote control and rerouted to another military base slash science facility in Antarctica of all fucking places, where Steve is captured and turned into a monster resembling the Incredible Hulk and holding a huge axe that Claire must now kill, and Steve dies in her arms while desperately trying to have a redemption moment that lands like wet chili diarrhea in the middle of a wedding dance. But oh ho! Turns out Alfred was not dead immediately after being shot. 
he somehow stumbled down into the depths of the island to a super double secret room where he throws a science switch and unleashes a figure from cryogenic storage. It turns out to be his dead sister Alexia, who has been in cold storage for 20 years while her body acclimated to the T. Veronica virus, a modification on the T virus. Seeing her dead brother, the now thought Alexia unleashes her mutation and stops Claire from escaping. End scene, everything goes black. And, oh, we got our title drop in there too. We ain't done yet, folks. Listen to this shit. While all this has been going on with Claire, it turns out Leon was able to contact Chris Redfield, and we see him scaling the cliffs around the prison island while it is exploding during the first half of the game's required self-destruct sequence. Capcom felt Chris needed to come in not only to rescue his sister, but the whole game by his presence. So we have him being an active player for the first time since RE1. And might I say, the model designers really did do their best to make Chris look like a Ken-inspired blow-up sex doll wearing combat fatigues for this game. Chris's gameplay is less interesting, as he simply backtracks through now-decimated areas Claire already battled through, finding more gear and ammo that she somehow missed. It is here that Chris confronts Albert Wesker, the bad guy from RE1, whose long shadow haunts the series and who supposedly died at the end of the first game. But he didn't. Having injected himself with the T virus shortly before the first tyrant boss monster killed him, which turns out was a ruse by Wesker to make his escape from the original mansion more believable. But instead of becoming another zombie, he evolved with the virus, becoming something else. If you haven't figured out by now we don't play Resident Evil games for the writing, then this should be your wake up call. But yeah, Wesker's on the island to kill Alexia. In any case, Boy Scout Chris fights his way to Antarctica, where Wesker has gone to confront Alexia, as well as rescuing his little sister. He makes his way through the facility, which is damaged in Alexia's temper tantrum, and is filling with water from outside the facility that is now freezing over due to Antarctica's cold environment, unleashing new zombies and other bottled-up monsters. Sure, fuck, why not? Chris finds Claire who has been caged once again with the axe the Steve monster was holding during his Hulk-inspired mutant rampage, and he goes on to confront Wesker and Alexia, who has let her mutations show while the two augmented beings slap fight for a bit until Wesker runs and leaves Chris to confront Alexia. Then the Redfield siblings flee through the science center of the Antarctic facility, but we have to get in one more confrontation with Alexia, who has let her mortal body behind and become a fly-like beast, with compound eyes and wings but no arms and legs, which Chris must shoot down with a sci-fi shoulder-mounted railgun. And he does so, in explosive, gooey fashion. The game ends with the siblings fleeing the Antarctic in a jet, cracking jokes, because we don't know how to end a script in America if there isn't a one-liner. Christ, in a bucket, that took forever. Now, I enjoyed Code Veronica even buying a copy for the PS2 when it was ported to multiple systems. But it is not a great game. It is just a product of its time. It is exactly the same type of game as RE 1-3, just with prettier graphics. We would not see true change until Resident Evil 4. And as revolutionary to the genre and the series as that game was, people bitched themselves blue in the face that it wasn't what the old stuff was. But really, it's a good thing it wasn't. We could not have stood another Code Veronica clone. The tank controls, the swapping camera angles, the frankly sexist and stereotypical characters and depictions of mental illness. Look, y'all can lie to yourselves and say that those were amazing and we should have kept them, but bullshit. 
Nostalgia has you by the brainstem and won't let go. So, could I give Code Veronica two thumbs up for modern players? Eh, as it is now, no. If you were there in the day like me and you had a ton of fun with it, then you can already decide for yourself. Newer players may find value in it as a time capsule, retro title, game preservation, or simply as a chuckle. Then yeah, maybe. I hear internet rumblings of a potential remake of Code Veronica now and then, or at least wishes of it, and to be honest, the whole game would have to be so revamped to make it in today's game market, it would have been almost unrecognizable from its original title without coming off as pastiche, or as a direct and poor clone to the point that it may not have been worth it after all. But who knows? Capcom is in a remake mood, and they have already spelled the money, especially in the U.S. market, so it may happen. It receives quote-unquote universal acclaim upon its release. There is more than enough interest to get investors interested. Resident Evil Code Veronica is a favorite of mine, but a troubled, hackneyed, and downright silly little game. One of the weird mutant appendixes of this never-ending series. It is a problematic favorite starring a character that I like and her dumbass brother. It could have been worse, I guess. It could have been Resident Evil Survivor. If you get that one, I feel your pain. Thank you for listening.